And now, for your feature presentation. One, or two, or three, or four, five, force five. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the Force Five Podcast. I have a heck of a show planned today with guest Matt from Dawn of the Discs, my absolute favorite social media page in all the land. And we're going to be talking about top five non-franchise slashers. I've got some deep cuts. I'm sure he will as well. Before we get to that, I want to talk about what I've seen in this past week. But first, I've got a listener question in my inbox. This one is from Ashton. He asks, how many times have you seen Goodfellas? Well, Ashton, if I had to wager a guess, I'd say that I've seen Goodfellas probably five times, but I haven't seen it probably in like seven years now, so I'm I'm, I'm probably due for a rewatch. Number six, on the way. Also, shout out to Isaac and Nugget the Cat, the world's cutest animal. I finally finished up season two of Dave, a show about aspiring rapper Lil Dicky and his journey to release his first album, Penith. Yes, Penith. I like it too. I've prepared it for you. You want to hear more? Yeah, okay. I never had a menage. I'd rather get a fiance. Mama, my ass like a prostate. She thinking forward like blockchain, but I'm sitting thinking about the fourth grade. I was hitting on the margarita, visualizing all the pectorinas. I ain't had shit on my hands except Cheetos. That was the top. Back when Dwayne was the rock. Back when jerking off used to be the motivation I would come home racing trying to beat my mama to my cricket naked Then I go on maxim.com for the pictures Put the shower on while I'm sticking the print out to the shower While using steam then I put the shower head up on the massage setting What? And you know where it goes from there, but do you like it? I mentioned after the first three episodes that this was a lot different And way more mean-spirited than the first season And it takes a while to really curve into that redemption arc that I could see coming a mile away But the last two episodes are really great, and the final five minutes of the finale had both my wife and I in tears. Like, genuine emotion. Uh, It is, it just ends on such a strong note. Overall, I think the first season was stronger and definitely funnier, but there are some standout moments in this season in terms of character growth. Gaeta, the actor who plays Dave's hype man in the show, is absolutely incredible. And I am so interested to see where he goes outside of this show. He finally gets a few key character moments in this season that just warmed my heart. And I cannot say enough about how good he is. Dave season two, I definitely recommend. But you're going to have to hang in there through the first half of the season to really get the payoff at the end. The other thing I saw this week is streaming on Disney Premiere Access. Of course, this is The Rock-led The Jungle Cruise. So what are you doing out here? There is a legend in the jungles of the Amazon of a tree that heals all. It could change the world. But if it gets into the wrong hands, it could awaken a great evil. I believe that the legend is real. Which it's not. And I'm going to find it. Which you want. And when I do, just imagine the lives that could be saved. I've been looking for this tree longer than anybody. I've tracked the legend to every village, every island, nothing. You're searching for something that can't be found. But you've never had the key. Let's do something that's safe. Let's go see some elephants. There are no elephants in the Amazon, and I don't even like elephants. Lady, everybody likes elephants. 
Lily Houghton drags her brother McGregor to the Amazon to search for a mysterious tree rumored to have petals that can cure any illness, injury, or curse. Frank, a crooked but affable riverboat operator, agrees to take them through the dangerous jungle, but along the way they'll have to fend off a German aristocrat who wants to use the tree for nefarious purposes and a quadrant of cursed conquistadors who also want their share. I love a good adventure movie, and unfortunately they're kind of a relic of the past, a bit of an extinct genre. This film is actually really fun if you can get past the script's stupidity and feels like Pirates of the Caribbean or even Romancing the Stone. It's filled with the same tonal shifts, supernatural elements, witty dialogue, and fantastical situations that classic adventure movies normally are. It's also as predictable as most of those movies, and after one pretty surprising twist about halfway through that makes zero sense, the film is fairly paint-by-numbers. You'll probably know how the last five minutes are going to play out, but the fun is how the characters get to the end. Now this definitely is not a kid's movie. It was pretty PG-13, like on the, on the high end of PG-13, especially for a Disney movie with some definite scary moments and some surprising sexual innuendo in a scene where someone is trying to pull a knife out of someone, which was pretty, I, th I thought it was pretty funny. Originally, we started watching it with our kid, but it quickly got a little too violent for his age, and luckily, he didn't get to see a villain that is made out of snakes, one that's made out of bees, and a good amount of hand-to-hand -hand combat. The adventure scenes and the action are pretty fun, even if the CGI doesn't hold up. Some of that computer-generated stuff is just awful, including a vine-swinging scene that, while funny, looked like it was made for about 13 bucks. That being said, the film isn't dragged down by the graphics, and some of it does look pretty good. If you sit and start thinking about the plot, the entire film falls apart in an instant. This is the perfect example of one of those turn-your-brain-off flicks. The best thing about this film are the characters. Emily Blunt is always terrific, and her chemistry with The Rock was palpable. He is as charming as ever, tossing one-liners around as only he can. This, of course, is based on the Jungle Cruise ride from Disneyland and the only connection to the ride, aside from it being a jungle and a boat cruising said jungle, were the bad jokes and puns that the ride is filled with. We get like a minute segment at the very beginning that, uh, that has that. And, of course, The Rock delivers the jokes with a deadpan sureness that, that uh, I really enjoyed. And Jesse Plemons is quickly turning into one of my favorite character actors. He stole every scene he was a part of as this smarmy German hunter. The man has come a long way since being a benchwarmer on Friday Night Lights. If you're a fan of old-school adventure tales, Jungle Cruise will almost certainly fit the bill. It's basically another version of Pirates of the Caribbean. It's silly, it's fun, and even though it's predictable and uh, smart as a sack full of hammers, it's still extremely enjoyable. Easily recommended for people who want a fun expedition that you can safely take your kids to, as long as they're at least, like, I would say probably 12 or 13 years old. Before we get to slashers slicing, dicing, and crunching bones, let's crunch some chips. Today's episode is brought to you by Let's Potato Chips. Let's are available in classic flavors like natural, sour cream and onion, barbecue, and ranch. And if you're feeling more adventurous, check out their grapes and peanut butter flavor. For those of you weirdos who don't like a traditional potato chip, reach for Let's Splingles or Let's Pretzels. If you don't like the crispy, delicious taste of Let's, feel free to eat that other greasy brand. And if you pop open a bag and there are friends around, remember their slogan, because you'll be using it. Get your damn hands off my Let's. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Force 5 Podcast. Tonight, 
I'm joined by Matt from Dawn of the Discs. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. If you are a physical media collector, you probably already know about Dawn of the Discs. Like, there are just so many announcements being made all the time for new releases, uh, and there are just way too many companies putting out physical media to keep track of them all. So your site, my friend, is the best way to keep up to date on everything coming out. There aren't there are not very many pages that I go to every day on social media, but yours is one of them. So I got to thank you for having that feed up because you have made me spend an inordinate amount of money in, in the last couple of years. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's, you know, I try to keep everybody informed and I've heard that I've cost a lot of people a lot of money. So I, I apologize to everyone for that. How did Donna the Discs start? I'm sure you were a, a media collector before that. Was it just that you realize it was really tough to keep track of the releases well dawn of the disc actually started as not a news site or a page or whatever it was just an instagram where i wanted to show off some of the stuff i collected like i knew there was a, a community on instagram for you know physical media and stuff like that but i never really engaged with it too much and one day i was like i gotta come up with a snappy name so I can post this stuff. And one day I can't even remember what the release was. I was like, huh, I wonder if anybody saw this or knows about this. I'm going to post about it. And ever since then, I've just been, you know, every day, every hour posting this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, multiple per day, uh, all kinds of stuff that I'm excited about coming up in the future. What's your physical media collection up to now? I'm sure you track it somehow. Well, last I tracked it, I haven't added anything in a while, but the last I was at, I was close to probably close to 2000, I think. Uh, Blu-rays, I have like a shitload of DVDs. I don't even know how many of those I have. And then I have (laughs) some VHS too, but yeah, I have a lot of stuff. It's getting a little bit crazy. There are very few people that I could probably stand next to and have their collection dwarf mine, but yours is one of them. (laughs) Now, tonight's topic is non-franchise slashers. We're going to shed some light on those slashers that didn't get the sequel love that so many of them have had. Uh, I was tempted to go with a whole list of films that didn't have on-disc releases, just to be ironic, but I I did not go (laughs) that way. Uh, As it stands now, I think only two of mine don't have releases. What is your favorite slasher franchise? Like, obviously, we're not talking about those, but what's your favorite slasher franchise in general? I mean, it probably has to be between, and I'm sure most people feel this way too, like Halloween and Friday the 13th, probably, as a collective, as a whole. It's got to be one of those. I think both of those are pretty strong. To me, Halloween's probably the better quality-wise of the mm-hmm. of the two, but I just have a soft spot for the Friday the 13th series. Same. What about some of your favorite movies that are not slashers? Not slashers. Uh, I'll Damn you. All I've been thinking about is <laughs> slashers this week. Like, what are some of those comfort food movies? Oh, I mean, stuff like just dumb stuff like Grandma's Boy, uh, <laughs> a lot of rom-coms like uh, nice. Elizabethtown or Garden State. Uh, just stuff that I saw when I was a teenager that like really made me love movies and independent films and stuff like that. Sure, Garden State would qualify as one of my comfort food movies as well. Uh, I have not seen Elizabethtown, but maybe I should see it now. It has a similar quality. It's it's in the same vein. There's, you know, this cute little uh, central romance and, you know, there's obstacles and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I'm a, a real sap for that sort of storytelling, I think. Cool. Well, we're not talking rom-coms today. We're not talking about those comfort food movies. Although I guess maybe we might be, depending on your list. We're going to be talking about 
non-franchise slashers. Are you ready to get to the list? Let's do it. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's gonna happen. What? You just made the list. Top five. Top five. Top five non-franchise slashers. Uh, to narrow down my list, I disqualified a couple of things. So. Um, obviously we can't do anything with sequels, but I also excluded titles that had remakes. Um, so that took like my bloody Valentine is off of the list. Um, and then I also disqualified all Giallo films just cause I, I kind of count that as its own genre. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, work through any type of process to get your list narrowed down or, or exclude anything based on criteria? Um, I kind of just, I didn't want to do anything that was too obvious. Um, I kind of wanted to shine some light on some movies maybe people haven't seen. And um, really, I wanted to stick with disc releases, physical media releases, because, you know, that's kind of my thing. Sure. Well, let's get to my number five. This one is not on disc yet. This one is a a film that people really are clamoring for on disc, and I would be one of the first to buy it. At number five, I've got 1984's Fatal Games. They are trained to reach perfection at the top of their class, and nothing will stop them from reaching their goal. As the laughter fades, the terror begins. Someone is stopping the nation's top athletes dead in their tracks. Someone has the killing touch. Fatal Games, a.k.a. The Killing Touch, a.k.a. Olympic Nightmare. It, it had three different titles, but probably most well-known as Fatal Games. Uh, this is a slasher about a gymnastics team, and they're Olympic hopefuls. They're training at this place called the Falcon Academy of Athletics. They're preparing. Unfortunately for them, it's not other countries that are going to take them out in the Olympics. It's a tracksuit-wearing murderer that's killing people off with a javelin have you seen Fatal Games before? I haven't, but I've always wanted to. Oh, it's uh, it's a treat. First off, it starts with a fantastic song called Take It All The Way. This comes from this, um, this era in the 80s in which movies would have songs, like theme songs directly made for them. And all the lyrics like pertain to the movie. It's a very Rocky-esque type of song. It's amazing. You can find it just... You can find the song on YouTube, Take It All The Way. Uh, It's great. And it just outlines what's going to happen. It's brilliant. Take it all the way. Take it to the limit and don't look back now. Take it all the way. No second chance. You're on your own now. In terms of the slasher element, this is basically the same plot as Graduation Day. But this killer is using a javelin to kill. And he literally uses the javelin to kill everybody except for one one poor sap who falls and lands on a trophy. He's impaled by a trophy. And I think the javelin concept is why it's so low on my list. And it's not that any of the kills are are bad. And it's not that the kills are just done with the one weapon. It's just that it's the Olympics. Like, there are so many other instruments you could use to kill somebody, like cleats or like a shot put ball or archery. Like, there's so many ways you could do somebody in. There are some great kills with this javelin. Some of the standouts, including somebody getting uh, the javelin thrown straight through their chest, pinning the person to a wall. Uh, a, this one dude gets it in the back. 
while he's sitting in a field and you just see the javelin like flying through the air. And uh, there's a great swimming pool kill as well. It's got all the hallmarks of a really fun slasher film. It's got the awkward characters, the cheesy dialogue, really good kill scenes, a masked stalker, and of course an ending that is just batshit crazy. And I can't understand why it's not on disc. I'm guessing that uh, like a vinegar syndrome seems like the perfect label to put this out, but my suspicion is that the the elements of the film are just not good enough to put out, which would be a shame. But uh, yeah, that's Fatal Games from 1984 at number five for me. So speaking of Fatal Games, Code Red Bill actually had talked about releasing Fatal Games for quite some time, uh, and it never came to fruition. And I do think it is an elements issue. Um, but hopefully somebody straightens that out in the future, because I would love to see that in HD. Yeah, this is a, a an old VHS store favorite of mine that uh, I think the only way to see it now, if you can't snap up a VHS tape, is uh, on YouTube. Number five for me is Twisted Nightmare, a.k.a. Ancient Evil, from 1987, directed by Paul Hunt. Matthew, have you ever been with a girl? You do like girls, don't you, Matthew? <laughs> You're an animal, dude. Hey, look. Matthew's over there hogging up all the women. Matthew, do you want to go inside and play doctor? Hey, Matt, keep your paws off Sherry, huh? Uh, you look, Matt, if, if need any help, just, just holler, okay, pal? I'm here. <laughs> Screw you guys. We're already engaged. <laughs> <laughs> You're bad. You're all, you're all bad. This is one I have not seen before. So yeah, that's kind of, I was hoping to introduce it. It's not generally very well regarded by people. So essentially this concerns a group of teenagers that went a trip to a summer camp that they had attended as children. Uh, however, as soon as they arrive, they begin to disappear one by one. Uh, the, survi- the survivors suspect that the disappearances may be connected to the death of a handicapped child at the camp years before. So, clearly we're getting into Friday the, th- the 13th ripoff territory, <laughs> and we most certainly are. Uh, this movie, like I said, it doesn't get a lot of love. It borrows heavily from a lot of summer camp slashers. Uh, it, it was actually shot on the same set as Friday the 13th Part 3. Nice little tidbit. Um, The story is absolutely nonsense. I mean, it's a slasher in every sense of the word, but there's some rumblings about some sort of Indian Native American, you know, burial ground and uh, spontaneous combustion and, and stuff like that. But really what we get is this gigantic hulking figure that you only really ever see his silhouette in most shots and it's a pretty imposing silhouette i mean like it's it's featured on the the poster artwork and it's it's pretty scary looking but the thing about that is it was done on the cheap for sure and if you catch a glimpse of him in the the correct lighting like any sort of lighting he looks so silly like a dollar store (laughs) halloween costume seriously like almost like a clown but this guy is massive uh, he was played by Cleve Hall. Rest in peace. He passed away, I believe, earlier this year. Um, and he also did the makeup effects in the movie, too. I think this is one of his first jobs. 
Um, and speaking of kills, there are some pretty badass kills in this movie. Uh, two people get their faces melted off with hot coals from a sauna, which looks fantastic. I've never seen that before in a movie, so I was pretty stoked about that. Um, there's also the good old-fashioned Friday the 13th where two people having sex get duly impaled with a fence post, which is always fun. Uh, and there's, you know, there's throat ripping because this thing has, like, claws, you know. So he rips some throats. He does some stabbing. Um, the practical effects all look really great, but the acting is literally some of the most wooden shit I've ever seen. And I love it. Seriously. It's so good. Like I literally, I giggle when I watch it because it's just so bad, but yeah, this is kind of like cinematic comfort food for me when it comes to slashers. Is this one and this one is on disc? Yes. Code red released it on Blu-ray in 2016 or 17, I think. All right, I might have to give this one a, a watch just for the description of the uh, of the killer. Yes. <laughs> my number four is my first that is on disc. This one was released uh, either early this year or late last year from Vinegar Syndrome. It is 1989's Cutting Class. It was just another ordinary, dull, and boring semester at Worley High. Attention, faculty, and students. This is Mr. Dante, your principal. The classrooms were in disorder. As of today, you're suspended. Relationships were impossible. Not until your grades improve. And the teachers were insane. But this year was going to be different. Someone was going to teach a lesson no one would forget, ever. Cutting Class is directed by uh, Rospo Pallenberg, and I think, I, I don't even know if that's a, a male or a female, but it was the, the only film ever directed by them. Are you familiar with Cutting Class? Yes, I love Cutting Class. It's one of my favorite Vinegar Syndrome releases. Oh, it's such a blast. Uh, it's probably most famous for being Brad Pitt's first role. But it's a pretty good slasher set inside of a it's it's a high school and it's got a great name. I mean, cutting class is it's a fantastic name for a slasher <laughs> uh, focuses on this high school student named Paula. And there's two boys that are trying to get at Paula. There's Dwight, the bad boy. That's Brad Pitt. And then Brian, this kid who is he's just been released from a mental hospital where he was committed following the suspicious death of his father. So it's like, did he kill his dad or did he not kill his dad? And so he's released. He comes to the school. And right when he gets to the school, murders start happening. So it's kind of presented as like a real as, as a mystery between the two male leads. Is Brian killing people? Did he kill his dad? Is he killing people now? Or is Brad Pitt as Dwight just trying to eliminate the competition? Cutting Class is not the flashiest film. It's also not really gory, but it does have some great kills, including one in which somebody dies on a Xerox machine and the copies just keep <laughs> sliding out. And the uh, the picture on the Xerox copies is pretty terrifying. And there's an amazing kill where a teacher is bouncing on this trampoline in an empty gym <laughs> and the killer sneaks in. And puts an American flag with with like one of those pointy um, pole toppers, puts the flag through the bottom of the trampoline and the guy lands on it midair, impaling him through the stomach. It is just a brilliant kill. 
This one's also really tongue-in-cheek to the point where it, it plays out like a horror comedy, but it never veers too far into the camp to take away like the, the serious of the situation. My main complaint, I think, about cutting class is that as a final girl, Paula is basically useless, but Brad Pitt's bad boy Dwight character is pretty great, and you can see why Hollywood got all excited about him shortly after this. Uh, like I said, Vinegar Syndrome released the great Blu-ray for this, it does feature the uncut version for the first time, which is cool, and there's even a feature on the disc that shows the uncut kills versus the R-rated cut, which are obviously a bit more graphic, but um, yeah, great slasher, and if you want to see an early Brad Pitt, this man was beautiful to look at then, as beautiful to look at then as he is now, um, just just a really, a really fun, really solid campy slasher in cutting class. My number four. And it's only placed this low because I think a lot of people have heard of it. It is Buddy Cooper's The Mutilator from 1984. I got a bad feeling about this. They thought their vacation would be fun. They were wrong. Dead wrong. He's what's called a trophy hunter. Boom, 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 boom. Dad used to tell me that he'd hunted everything but man. Hey. I'm coming to get you. So the film opens with little Ed cleaning his father's gun as a birthday present for his dad. His mom is making a birthday cake in the next room, and little Ed accidentally shoots through the wall and kills his mom. His dad comes home, smacks him around, starts drinking whiskey, and starts pouring whiskey down the corpse's mouth for whatever reason. Cut to 15 years later, and Ed is, little Ed is sitting at a pub with his friends. They're bored, um, trying to figure out something to do for fall break. Ed receives a call from his father, who requests that he come close down his condo for the winter. So Ed and his friends are stoked. They're going to go. They're going to party. And this is about as straightforward a slasher as possible. There are no like high concept plot details or anything. They go there and they are killed by little Ed's father, AKA big Ed. So this film also has a fantastic theme called fall break. Uh, it's the intro of the film. It's super poppy, super catchy. I, I watched this movie a couple months ago, and it was stuck in my head for like three days. Excellent. I, I love the song. The song is 10 out of 10, just like the movie. Um, it's fantastic. And this movie, I know slashers kind of get a bad rap for writing characters that aren't really likable, and you don't really care if they get gutted or not. This movie is filled with people I love. Like, there's a kind of like a southern gentleman, uh, Ralph, who's kind of the life of the party. Uh, he's always trying to get people to drink and have a good time. He's got one-liners, you know, super fun. Uh, and everybody just kind of like has a positive vibe. They all care about each other. And then that's when the killings start. So this movie has some really nasty stuff like some of the most cruel killings ever committed to celluloid um one of the guys gets his torso mutilated by a handheld boat engine <laughs> um probably the most well-known is one of the female characters gets a giant fishing gaff 
like stabbed into her lady parts. Um, and all this is captured in great detail by Mark Shoshram, who did um, Slumber Party Massacre, Evil Dead 2, and the first three Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So his makeup effects are like, he's the true hero of this movie because this is like a really gory film and it wasn't available for a long time other than like crappy looking VHSs. Um, but Arrow took it and they did a remaster of a 35 millimeter print and it looks fantastic. And I love this movie. Everyone should see this movie. If you like slashers, you're going to love this. You're right. That theme song is amazing. It totally reminds me of like uh, TGIF sitcoms for sure. Yeah, it's a sitcom song and it's great and it will get stuck in your head. And uh, you made the other point of the characters being likable, which I think is a big deal and it goes a long way with slashers because you don't want to see a lot of these people die number three for me all right we're getting to my other one that i don't believe is on disc yet this one is another one of those video store favorites that i would love for somebody to release it is from 1988 the last slumber party summertime and the living is easy <laughs> three months of non-stop partying and we start to yeah. i just wanted to have a slumber party and a good time <laughs> Sneaking a few guys. Your ass wasn't so big. It wouldn't be such a problem. Oh, it's tight. I'm stuck. Pull. Get a little high and have lots of fun. Do you have any drugs? turns into a game of survival. As one by one, the kids end up dead. You familiar with this one? Yes, I am. It is. Yeah, it's a rough one. <laughs> the Last Slumber Party is about these uh, three teenage girls, and they just graduated from high school, and they decide that they're going to celebrate by having a slumber party. We all had them as kids, uh, and these 17-year-olds are ready to party. Unfortunately for them, their party is crashed by, first, a few guys from school that want to get laid, and then by a patient who just escaped from a mental institution and is slashing people's throats with a scalpel. So when I watch a, a horror movie, when I watch a slasher, I'm looking for a couple of things. I'm looking for good kills. And I'm looking for a fun time. And although this one lacks in the kill creativity, like literally some of the kills are the same POV shot, it's a really good time. And that's due to the DIY nature of the whole movie. This thing was clearly shot on video with a budget of like 12 bucks. 11 of those dollars probably went to Firestrike, which is a band. And I'll have a little bit more on that in a second. And the actors definitely worked for the daily rate of pizza and beer. And I think that's the endearing quality of this film. Like you watch it and you just, you know that the dialogue was made up on the fly. And I think that gives this film some charm. You were talking about like the, the wooden characters in your first pick. And it's the same way here. These characters don't react properly. They don't even say their lines properly. And unfortunately, 
Speaking of the dialogue, some of it has not aged well, especially by one girl who just like is constantly calling her boyfriend homophobic slurs for the entirety of the film. It is kind of bizarre. The whole film is set to the sounds of this hair metal band called Firestrike that I mentioned. It is it's like a hair metal hybrid band and it starts with their song It's Just a Nightmare, which is also an element of foreshadowing that you'll realize when you watch the film. Now, if this is your first time watching The Last Slumber Party, about 30 minutes in, you're going to turn, you're going to ask yourself, what the fuck am I watching this movie for? And then you're probably going to email me and tell me I'm stupid for recommending it. But when it's over, you're going to ask yourself if the shoddy editing, the wacky timeline jumps, the repetitive kill scenes, and everything else that seems to make no sense is just bad filmmaking or... If it actually works on a level that we were just too dumb to get at first within the construct of the dream that we've actually been watching. 1988's The Last Slumber Party. It's a really, really fun slasher film. And if you haven't seen it, there's a copy on YouTube that's still available. I watched some of it to refresh for this episode, and it did not let me down. Number three for me is Hack-O-Lantern, a.k.a. Halloween Night, uh, 1988, directed by Jag Mundra. Grandpa's got something very special for you. Maybe it's a pumpkin. That's enough, Tommy. I told you to let your father do the jack-o'-lantern later. You're gonna cut yourself. What did I tell you? You're... Oh. But Mom, I like the taste of blood. Grandpa says it's good for me. Grandpa? When did you see Grandpa? Happy Halloween, Mrs. Rindle. Ever since my father died on Halloween night, this day seems to really affect her, you know? She hasn't gotten over it yet. The plot, I'm, I'm reading off the, the Blu-ray box. Uh, when Tommy was a boy, he saw his grandpa, the leader of a vicious satanic cult, murder his father in a brutal ritual on Halloween night. Now Tommy is 18, and grandpa is ready to indoctrinate him into the ways of the black arts. But as night approaches, someone dressed like a member of the cult, whose face is hidden behind a devilish mask, begins stalking and killing people connected to Tommy. This movie... So I'm, I, I saw that Joe Lynch... The director, Joe Lynch, gave this movie a half a star on Letterboxd, <laughs> and I was super sad about that because I thought of all people, he would get it. This movie is absolutely absurd. Like, the first thing that I have to talk about is High Pike, who plays the satanic grandfather. His performance, I've seen it called vaud- Vaudevillian before, and it is, it is absolutely that. This man, he speaks in this throaty, snarling sort of hiss. His voice is very distinctive. And he's always spouting off some satanic jibber jabber. And it, it's just fantastic. He he is the, the star here. We also get Mac's dad from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Gregory Scott Cummins, playing Tommy, who, keep in mind, is supposed to be 18 years old. He's definitely like 35 years old <laughs> in this movie. And it, it literally makes no sense. Like, he plays this brooding teenager that, like, kind of looks to this, his grandfather is like a, a father figure or whatever. And it's just, it's absolutely absurd to see that play out. So this is a slasher movie, but my favorite scene is not a slasher, you know, a kill or anything like the most identifiable scene in this movie is kind of like a pseudo dream sequence. It's shot like a music video. It features the song devil son by a hair metal group called DC LaCroix. Uh, in this section, Gregory Scott Cummins like joins the band in this kind of music video, 
and he's being lured by some sort of like succubus or something like that. And they're just like, it's a straight up music video. They're like rocking out, playing guitar. Uh, Gregory's just, he's playing the lead guitar and this chick's like luring him in. And there's like all these mausoleum, like CGI laser effects. Like you see in the eighties, like shooting out of their eyes and stuff like that. And this scene is, it's four minutes long. It's like a whole music video and it's so much fun. Like it's so ridiculous. So there's that aspect. There's grandpa doing the most cringy stand-up comedy act I've ever seen. Like it's, None of the jokes land. It is so hilarious about how bad it is. I I can't even like, and there's, so Tommy's girlfriend is like a super hot, like Satanist chick. She has a a tattoo of a pentagram on her ass and we'll get to the slashing. Like, so the devilish mask guy is killing these people with like a pitchfork and there isn't that much slashing. Like the body count is pretty low. I think maybe three or four. But basically, he's just stabbing people in the neck with the the pitchfork. And it looks pretty good. I mean, it's not anything special. It's not anything out of the ordinary for a slasher. But the whole thing about this is just like the small town Halloween vibe. Like there's all these colonial buildings with like signs about that upcoming Halloween dance. And we actually get to see the Halloween dance and the lame band that plays there. And it's a lot of fun. Like there's like this whole, I don't know family drama aspect it's very like soap opera esque or whatever and just how the family relates to each other like grandpa being a satan worshiper and taking tommy under his wing is like a big problem for the mom and the siblings and everything like that and i will say there are two aspects about the ending of this movie that i absolutely did not see coming i'm not great at guessing like killers and stuff like that but i definitely didn't see this coming so it's a treat. Uh, Massacre video put it out on Blu-ray a few years ago. It's still in print. I definitely think with Halloween coming up, people should pick this up. That's Hack Lantern from 1988. What was the deal with movies in the 80s just like inserting random music videos in there? I I just watched Grandview, <laughs> Grandview USA, which also had like a bizarre music video portion. And that was from the mid 80s, too. Yeah, that's actually on my watch list. I, I was going to watch that soon, too. But yeah, I don't know. I think that, you know, MTV was hot during that time and hair metal was hot. And I, I, I would say there's a correlation to that. <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Well, no music videos stuck in my number two, but there are a lot of great kills. This is one of the one of the more popular ones, I think, on my list. And it's from 1981. The Prowler. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home was about to begin. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. This one was directed by Joseph Zito, who, uh, if you're a B-movie fan, you'll know from like Invasion USA and Missing in Action, some of those Chuck Norris movies. The Prowler is about a small town in New Jersey, and they've got this school dance coming up, or this, this town dance or whatever, and it's being terrorized by a masked killer who wears World War II fatigues and a combat helmet. And uh, he's got this really, really cool sheathed knife on him and that's his main killing weapon this one is 
like the polar opposite of the last slumber party in that the dialogue and the characters are not very interesting. And in some cases, these characters are even forgettable to the point where the filmmakers themselves forget about them, which I'll circle back to. But the kills in this one, the kills in The Prowler are among the best kills that I've ever seen in a slasher film. They are incredibly violent, designed by special effects god Tom Savini. One character has a knife shoved into the top of his head, and the knife comes out the bottom of his chin. And in most movies, I think that the kill would stop here, but in this film, the character opens his eyes, and they are pure white. And it is one of the most chilling death scenes that I've ever seen. It's a, it's a death scene that will stick with me for the rest of my life. It's also got a shotgun blast to somebody's head. That is one of the best gore gunshot scenes ever filmed. Like, this person gets their head blown off by a shotgun, and you can see teeth scattering in the air as the head just turns into soup. It's great. The Prowler has a similar setup to My Bloody Valentine with the school dance in the small town, but ultimately, it feels more like an excuse to just let Tom Savini run wild, and he ran wild. And I love that part of it. I, I said I was going to circle back on it. The characters are so cardboard and so vanilla that certain subplots just literally go nowhere. And I don't know if they were filmed and then left on the cutting room floor or the writers were just like, I don't know, <laughs> I just forgot about it. And there are there are like a ton of red herrings that ultimately go nowhere. You mentioned that you can't know that you can't figure out who the killer is in a lot of situations. I can almost guarantee you're going to know who the killer is from a mile away. But this one is worth a watch for the kills alone. Blue Underground put this one out on disc. I don't know if it's still in print, but if it is, The Prowler is a great one to pick up just for the kills from Tom Savini. Yeah, I love The Prowler. It's one of my absolute favorites. Number two for me is Intruder from 1989, directed by Scott Spiegel. Good evening, Walnut Lake Shoppers. It's closing time. The store will be closing in 15 minutes. But the night crew still has work to do. Oh my god, we're gonna get in so much trouble. Because there's one last customer who isn't satisfied. No, this creep keeps calling her. He's driving us nuts. Leave me alone. He wants to slash their prices. Oh, who's there? He wants to cut their inventory. You're crazy! In fact, he wants to chop until they all drop. I saw him kill Linda. And now he's turning their retail store. There's going to be one more killing here tonight. Into a wholesale slaughterhouse. Uh, this is actually, I'll, I'll do a little synopsis. It's 10 p.m. and the employees of Michigan's Walnut Lake supermarket are in for a really bad night. The place is shutting shutting its doors for good, and the night crew has a long shift ahead of them. Longer than they think. The lovely checkout girl has a deranged ex-boyfriend, the store's phone lines are cut, and the employees start dying in the most stomach-churning ways imaginable. A deranged killer is on the loose in the grocery store. Can anyone stop this murderous intruder? So this film has the distinction of being a slasher movie set within a supermarket which is pretty rare. I think for horror movies in general, that's a pretty rare setting. Uh, and I like this movie because each department 
kind of has specific tools of the trade and they're all used for these horrific kills. So I think that there's um there's a pretty famous scene. It's a, a table saw where someone gets their head cut in half. Um and it, it is brutal. Uh there's also the use of the hydraulic box crusher. There's use of meat hooks in the deli section. Uh, I mean, they're just butchered body parts scattered all over this store. Uh, and these effects were done by K&B, so it's no surprise, you know, with their pedigree that every single kill in this movie is super realistic, hyper gory and disgusting. That's like, I, I love this movie so much. Um, the cinematography is actually really awesome, too. You, I mean, you see, I saw stuff that I'd never seen before. There's literally like a camera on one of the swinging meat hooks. There's one on the cart. So it, visually, it's really interesting. I wouldn't say it's like a, a visual feast by any means, but it definitely gives it a leg up on some of the other um, films of the time, slashers of the time. Uh, the characters are also really relatable in this. Uh, my favorite performance is definitely Danny Hicks. He play. He actually passed away this last year, I believe uh, he plays one of the owners of the grocery store. He comes off kind of like your uncle type character, you know, good old boy, very caring. And, you know, you could tell him things and you could trust him. And he's just crazy about this store. As he says, um, he really takes it up to 11 with this. And the final scene where he's running across the checkout lanes is, is super epic. I, I love it. Um, the thing about it too is this would be really hard to guess who the killer is because in the you really only see his silhouette, but it's actually the producer Lawrence Bender. So visually, it was really off-putting to me when I first saw it, like trying to figure out who it was, you know, by their body type and things like that, because that wasn't actually the killer at all. Uh, and there's a lot of um, like dark supermarket humor involved, like weird stuff with sale signs and just this is one of my favorite slashers of all time, not just non-franchise. This actually has really great beats, great rhythm. Um, it never gets boring. It, I mean, it progresses perfectly and just back to the supermarket thing. It's so cool. Like I grew up in a small town that had a supermarket just like this. And like, I just, I love it. It's super nostalgic for me. Back maybe 10, 9 or 10 years ago, I had a YouTube channel based on bad movies, and somebody had recommended this one for me to do a show on, and I watched it, because, and I was intrigued, because I, I lived in a smaller town, just like you, had the grocery store that I worked at, like, that was my very first job, so I'm like, oh, I'll definitely relate to this, and I watched it for the show about bad movies, and then it's like, this isn't a bad movie at all, like, this movie's great. And I was also intrigued because the Raimis were involved in this one. Sam Raimi, Ted Raimi. Uh, so it's kind of like a cousin to Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. Grand finale for me. Most of the slashers on my list so far have been like good to me. But I don't know that everybody would like them. Even slasher fans because of reasons that I explained when I talked about them. But my number one, I I think is one of the best slashers out there. I often wonder why it never got the attention that it should have and never got the attention that other slasher franchises have gotten, even though um, this one is better than a lot of them. 
It's 1981's Just Before Dawn. Run for your life. The nightmare has begun. It will find you in the hour when dream and reality merge. The last desperate moment of darkness. All right, who is it? Just before dawn. They were warned. At least tell me where you're going. So that when you don't come back, I'll know how to fill out the report. But they did not understand the warning. They came to the mountain for adventure and escape. What they found was a trial which only the strongest could survive. This one came out about a year after Friday the 13th did, and the second Friday the 13th had already come out, and I think that's why this one was overshadowed, because the the settings are very similar. Uh, now, there's no camps in this one. There's no summer camps. It's about a group of teenagers who go up into the Oregon wilderness to go camping. So they're going camping, but there's no camp ground. It's just like tent camping. And on their way up, the, the town sheriff is like, you can't go up there. You're going to wake up the devil. And they ignore the warnings of the town sheriff and they go anyway. I read in a review that this is like a mixture of the hills have eyes and deliverance. And I couldn't agree more. It really is like a meld of those two films. It's got the the bizarre characters that the hills have eyes introduces you to but it's got the terror that deliverance instills into you the atmosphere in this film is a winner like perfectly juxtaposes the terror of being a prey that's being hunted with the beauty of the oregon wilderness like there's this beautiful scene in which the kids find a waterfall and they jump in they go swimming and you just feel this sense of underlying dread as you watch this scene, knowing what's about to go down, because you can see these these people watching them in the water. There's another scene on a bridge that's horrifying, although as as the film goes on, you realize that that bridge is maybe like 10 feet above a river in real life. But the the setup to that scene is so fantastic. It also has one of the best final scenes in a slasher film with one of the best final girls in a slasher film as she steps up to face these attackers. And I'm not going to spoil it, because I think everybody should see this, but the the tactic she uses in the final scene is amazing. There's a look that she gives somebody afterward. She's standing there. She's not saying a word. That scene is worth the price of admission alone, as her like weak-ass, worthless boyfriend just sits there on the ground. So good. The, the synth soundtrack is great. The shot is the, the film is shot really well. And honestly, I'm just baffled as to why this film got lost in the slasher shuffle. And I'm guessing it's just because there were so many coming out in 1981. Uh, But just before Dawn from 1981 is my number one. It's a great slasher film. And uh, Code Red put out the Blu-ray. I know you have it. I saw it in your stack. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope he doesn't put it somewhere where it's not number one because it's just it's so good. Yes, Just Before Dawn is one of the greatest slasher movies ever made. Everything you said about the the mood, the atmosphere, it's a very creepy movie. I love the setting, the organ setting. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I love the, the slasher. Um, it's a fantastic movie, great pacing. It's one of my favorites. 
it was going to be on my list. You saw it in the stack, but I was like, I think a lot of people know about this one. So I'm not going to, I mean, to be fair, a lot of people know about my number one too, but I've never really talked about it too much. So, but yeah, just before Dawn, great movie. Yeah, it is one that, that a lot of horror fans know about, but if you're just like dabbling into the slasher genre or you really have just paid attention to the big franchises, give this one a shot. It's awesome. Number one for you, what is last, or I guess first, on your list? Number one is Nightmares in a Damaged Brain from 1981, directed by Romano Scalavini. Prepare yourself for the most intensely shocking motion picture of our time. <laughs> Nightmare, the motion picture everyone is talking about. Hello, Steve. From the man who terrified you in Dawn of the Dead and Friday the 13th, special effects director Tom Savini, now comes Nightmare. Terror will surround you. Pray you survive the night. Nightmare. Scream, but no one can help you. Listen to me, George. It's only a dream. And dreams can't hurt you. The dream you can't escape. Alive. No one under 17 will be admitted. From 21st Century Distribution, coming soon. So this one is a pretty infamous film. Uh, it's about a mentally disturbed patient named George Tatum who escapes from a sanitarium in upstate New York and he goes on a killing spree down the East Coast uh, he ends up in Florida stalking a single mom and her family. So I'll open this one by saying that Nightmares and a Damaged Brain isn't a film that I revisit very often. Uh, I find it to be pretty depressing and dour overall. Um, it's something I have to be in the mood for. It, it's it's just so grim and gross and and kind of sad, really. Uh, the movie is just so sleazy too. just like everything about it, like from the locations, like we, we make a stop at 42nd street in 1981. Um, the, the subject matter is super taboo, uh, all the way down to like how the film looks like the film stock even looks sleazy, you know? And it gets a lot of comparisons with maniac in terms of like grit and similarity and performances from its lead. Uh, Baird Stafford is is a maniac. Uh, he is unhinged, to say the least. He has these crazy dreams about um, his father having like a sadomasochistic sex with a woman and um, some like a child beheading the woman. And that is a very graphic scene. Um, I think some people are probably going to find it a little bit too long. I find it a little bit too long. I think they could have cut 20 minutes out of it. Uh, but the sleazy nature of the film and the, uh, the barbaric kill scenes kind of make it a, a classic in the genre. I mean, a lot of people talk about that, that final uh, scene, uh, how graphic and, and gross it is. But m one of my favorites is when George, the, the lunatic, he uses a pickaxe on the, the babysitter's back. The entry wounds look super, super realistic. Um, and I find that scene to be really underrated as compared to the final scene that everybody talks about. And I think his portrayal of like mental illness and being at the mercy of his demons is 
it's pretty spot on. I think that's probably what that sort of mental condition looks like. I mean, of course he's playing it over the top, but I think that, you know, it's good for what it is. Um, and this one was one of the films in the UK where the home video distributor was actually, um, he had to serve time in prison for distributing the film uncut. So he was prosecuted for that. Um, Another thing, since you brought up Tom Savini earlier, there's a long-held rumor that Savini worked on the film and he did the effects, um, which Savini, he denies completely. Uh, He claims that he uh, was just a consultant on the film. There's all these set photos of him on on set, setting up some of the more iconic kills in the movie. Um, But he's still still sticking with that. I, I, when I watched the Blu-ray, I watched some of the bonus features and the commentary. And this film originally had six different endings shot for the film. Um, one of them, they didn't really go into too much de- detail, but one of them was uh, George the Killer. When he's in the ambulance at the end of the movie, he like opens his eyes like Jason Voorhees or something like that. So that would kind of push it to a sequel. But that never happened. Uh, it's just a, you know. Obviously, we're doing a non-franchise episode, but there was an idea in the beginning to make it a franchise. It just never happened. Uh, And another interesting fact is Joel Cohen from the Cohen Brothers was the original editor of this film before being fired. Oh, wow. But yeah, this movie is nasty. It is grim. It is dark. It is rough. Uh, I think it's something that every slasher fan needs to see. It, uh, I wouldn't say that it lives completely up to its you know, infamy, I guess you'd say, but it is definitely one to see. I've seen clips from this, but I've actually never seen the full movie. Like I've seen the decapitation scene, like I've seen other scenes from it, but yeah, it's got a reputation of being one of the nastiest, like sleaziest slashers of the eighties. And I just have never gotten around to watching it. You have to see it. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely interesting. I think, I don't know if you'll enjoy it because I frankly don't really enjoy it, but I, Thought it had a place on this list. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like something that slasher fans should watch. So, sounds like it was worthy of your number one pick. Were there any movies that narrowly missed your list? Like, if you were, if we were doing a top ten, oh, that uh, would have made it on there. So many. <laughs> uh, Blood Rage. Yep, that was on my uh, honorable mentions as well. It was between the Mutilator and Blood Rage, and I went with Mutilator because I hadn't seen it as recently as I had seen Blood Rage, and plus. Thanksgiving's coming up, so I might cover it in some capacity if I decide to do something. Um, what else? I mean, there were a bunch. I had a stack like Sorority House Massacre. I watched that, but it just it didn't really fit within a five. It's good and everything. Um, of course, Just Before Dawn, fantastic. That was a great rewatch. Um, I mean, there's a ton of stuff, really. Yeah. Um, definitely not the prey. I watched the prey. I mean, I like that movie and all, but it's just, it's so many inserts of like nature footage. <laughs> like I, I, I watched it when it first came out and I, I was like, this is pretty good. And I was like, oh, I'll watch this for the list and see how it turns out. And no, it just doesn't belong in the top five. Yeah. There were a couple that I rewatched that I just, I couldn't put in the list. I just couldn't find room for them. Edge of the ax was one of them. Me too. The burning, the burning almost made my list. The burning is really, really good um yeah what else evil judgment which is like a courthouse slasher uh which is oh. kind of interesting 
the uh, recently released Vinegar Syndrome's uh, Don't Go Into the Woods almost made my list. Mm. Uh, yeah, just a, a ton of great slashers out there that are not part of franchises. So now I'm I'm happy that we didn't double up on anything, which surprised me because all of our picks were from the 80s. Yeah. So now people have like 10 80s non-franchise slashers to seek out. And uh, some are on discs, some are on YouTube, but all are available for you to watch somewhere. What else do you have to plug? I mean, obviously, we want people to go check out Dawn of the Discs. You can find Dawn of the Discs on Instagram and Twitter. Give the pages follows so that uh, you can find out what is coming when it comes to Blu-ray, 4K stuff. All the labels are covered. Um, Anything else you have going on that you want to plug or promote? Uh, No, I mean, just follow the pages, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. thinking about doing a podcast i know i hinted about that on twitter a couple weeks ago i have a couple people that i've been talking about it with uh hasn't happened yet we'll see if it does um but yeah follow all the awesome companies buy movies keep physical media alive and all that shit yes keep physical media alive there's no reason not to better picture better sound and you can still watch movies when your internet goes down What's your favorite non-franchise slasher? Did we make any egregious errors? Let me know on social media on Force5Pod on Twitter and Force5Podcast on Instagram. If you liked what you heard, please review the show wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends about Force5. Intro and outro bumpers today come courtesy of Nate Spears. Top 5 list bumper was produced by me with music from Audio Binger. Until next time, stay safe. Stay sane and go watch some amazing non-franchise slashers. Force five.